Okay, chapter 36, uh, Exodus. Sometimes, for me, sometimes the hardest part of a study is getting started. And that was the case for me here. But I, I had all this time to prepare this thing. So a half hour ago, <laughs> wake up. Uh, no, I, I finally got to start it. But then it's funny, once you start, you can't stop. You know, it's amazing. I, I do a lot of reading and rereading and praying, and I finally I get to the starting line. Now, Pastor Tony covered the tabernacle in chapter 26 uh, in pretty good detail. And a lot of what we're going to see here tonight is actually a rehashing of it to a certain point. Um, in the last few chapters, God has been giving Moses specific instructions on constructing the tabernacle. He's been, uh, he's been telling them how they're going to build it, the ark, the utensils, the tools. Every aspect of the work to be done was, has been covered already. And here in, in the here we are ten chapters later, uh, and we're going to get right down to the to the start of it. A recap of the previous chapters, beginning with twenty four, helps us to to understand this chapter a little bit better. Twenty four, Moses and a large uh, contingent, seventy four individuals, go up to the mountain to affirm their covenant, the covenant with God, and it sets the stage for the next few chapters. Uh, Remember this when we get to chapter 32 in the recap. Chapter 25 begins uh, with the instructions to collect an offering for the materials, uh, to build a material. It continues with instructions for the Ark of the Testimony, the table for the showbread, and the gold lampstand. Chapter 26 covers instructions for the tabernacle itself. 27 uh, instructs Moses for building the altar of burnt offering, uh, the court of the tabernacle, the care of the lampstand. Uh, and uh, 27, uh, Moses gets instruction for building the altar of burnt offering, the court of the tabernacle, the care of the lampstand. 28 details the priestly garments, uh, the ephod, the breastplate, the details of the of the priestly garments. In, in 29, uh, we find Aaron and his sons consecrated into the priesthood with the instructions for daily offerings. Chapter 30 shows Moses how he was to build the altar of incense, covers the ransom money, the bronze laver, the holy anointing oil, and the incense itself. Uh, in chapter 31, the artisans who'd be overseeing the work, notice here that God was very specific in his detailed plans, uh, and now he actually gets down to who's going to oversee the work of building the tabernacle. In chapter 31, verse 1, we read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called you by name, Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for a setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. 
verse 6, And indeed I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. I have put wisdom into the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, in, in chapter 32, we got an unfortunate detour. Uh, Moses is up on the mountain, and Aaron and the people are down in the lowlands. And the people backslide terribly in chapter 32. Sin rears its ugly head. Sin doesn't have a good-looking head. Every head that sin has is ugly. Uh, it's a perfect example. I looked at it as maybe a warning for us of how quickly we can backslide. Uh, especially sometimes when you think you're solid. When you think, yeah, I got this. Um, the, take, the time it takes us to go from saint to sinner is so incredibly short. Uh, it's a heartbeat. And I remember times in my own life where I was rolling along thinking everything was just hunky-dory and then and, and just literally in a heartbeat. You know, I've, I've blown it. Uh, uh, in Exodus 24.3 and 24.7, the people promised obedience to God. 24.3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. In 24.7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. It's kind of like we are. We say we're going to be obedient. We know God's word. We know what's right and wrong. And we don't always do that. That's why Jesus came to forgive us. There's always a real and very present danger to backsliding for all of us. Why? In First Peter, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to sin, remember, who was that comedian? The devil made me do it? Who was that guy? I, who? Yeah, Flip Wilson. Uh, and the devil really doesn't make you do it, but he's, he's there to help. He's there to help you do it. He wants you to do it. Uh, were not for Moses, this would have been the end of the nation. This would have been it. Uh, but Moses intercedes for the people. Chapter 32, verse 25. Now when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put, on his, put his sword on his side and go, out, go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourself to the Lord that he may just bestow a blessing on you this day. For every man has opposed his brother, his son, and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go 
up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. This verse, this verse really impressed me. Uh, first time I read it, it was uh, the heart and integrity of Moses uh, is shown. He's a true leader. He really is a leader. Uh, he's the captain that goes down with the crew. Uh, and he's the platoon leader who says, follow me when the bullets are flying. Uh, he has the boldness to say to God, we're all in this together. If you're not going to forgive them, take my name out of the book too. That's intense. That's really intense. That's, that's something that most of us wouldn't have the courage to do. In chapter 33, it commands, uh, contains the command to leave Sinai. Moses' uh, meeting with the Lord, the promise of God's presence. Chapter 34, Moses makes new tablets of stone. The covenant is renewed. And I, and I, I feel the, the shining face of Moses is the righteousness of God manifested in man. Spurgeon says, The radiance of Moses' shining face was, ref- was a reflected radiance, a received glory. The source was the face of God. And as Moses communicated so directly with God, his face received some of this shining glory. The face of Moses became uh, shown because he had looked upon the face of God, Spurgeon says. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but a lot of times when you run into uh, Christians, I, I'm, I have a tendency to wear... Uh, Mike, especially back there, has a tendency to wear Christian T-shirts and uh, I wear Christian hats and stuff. And it's been amazing how many times uh, fellowships have sprung up from this uh, on uh, on street corners. Once, once at work, uh, one of my show managers said, said to me, uh, uh, so where do you fellowship? And I said, how do you know I fellowship? And she said, well, you got a dove on your hat and a cross around your neck. You probably fellowship somewhere, you know. And and I love it when that happens. But there's a there's a certain radiance about about uh, about Christians as well. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but some of the people you meet are amazing, and they they lift us up. We lift each other up. Uh, also in 34, Israel must separate from the Canaanites and worship, politics, fellowship, and marriage. You should make no molded gods for yourself. They already blew that. Uh, 35 truly sets the stage for 36. God orders for the Sabbath uh, comes in 35. So we, got, we all got to work. As men, we all have to work. You can blame Adam for that. Can't blame Eve. Uh, but God's merciful. Uh, he knows our limitations, so he, he instructs us to rest. He tells us that we have to rest on the seventh day. It's with the instructions he's given the men here. Uh, notice before he begins the labor, he sets a limit on it. He doesn't wait for these guys to be wiped out. Uh, God makes arrangements for the building materials and the items that will be needed to complete the work. Uh, nobody's going to have to stop and go to Home Depot. You know, how many times have you been in the middle of a? How many times in a project have you gone to Home Depot? You know, one time I walked in the local hardware store, 
and I'd been there probably 15 times on something I was doing. And I was I was getting pretty beat up, and I walked in, and I go, do I hold the record? And the guy goes, not even close, you know. So they're going to have the things they need to work. The offerings for the tabernacle are presented. Uh, also in 35, verse 30, Moses called the children of Israel. He is called by name, Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur. Of the tribe of Judah, he lifted up the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, to do all manner of artistic work. In verse 34, we've got a really key element here. This is huge. If anybody here has ever run a crew or uh, worked with others that needed instruction. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in, in him and Aholiabab, the son of Ahizmanach, of the tribe of Jan, Dan. He has filled them with skill to do the work, but he's also filled them with skill to teach. And this is important. This is really important because this is a big project. This is a huge project. And he didn't put it all on one guy. He gave him an assistant foreman, so to speak. It seems like they're just about... I worked for a couple of foremen that were like this. There was one guy who was the foreman, and the other guy was almost the general foreman. They, they were like that close. And having these two guys to lead us made, made for good work because there was always somebody there, and they knew how to do everything. There wasn't anything that we had to do that they couldn't teach us how to do. You know, we're all willing. We had the necessary skills. We had foundational skills. Uh, so now we finally get to 36. And we're going to go through 1 through 7, and then we're going to look at some stuff up here. And Bezeal, if you want some names for your kids, here are a couple of them. Aholiab, every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work, for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all, to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezeel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Free will offerings. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused, uh, they caused it to be and proclaimed throughout the camp, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material which they had was sufficient for all the work to, to be done. Indeed, too much. Amazing. Uh, we'll break off. We're going to look into those verses, and then we'll finish up with the rest. So he's... 
put into every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding, do all the manner of work, the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all the laws, laws the Lord has commanded. God is putting his crew together from the top down. First he names these two guys whose names I don't say very well. Uh, specifically and more broadly, every gifted artist in, in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding. The Lord's being very specific. He calls for gifted artisans. He just doesn't get a crew out there. He gets people that can do the job. Uh, and notice also that the source of their abilities is from God. God gave them their gifts. Uh, none of them can claim that they got it on their no- own. We should never think for a minute just because we have certain skills that we really can take any super credit for them. Uh, no matter how much time we've invested in them, we may have a bent towards music or art. Uh, we may have apprenticed ourselves to a particular trade or craft or even to a master in that discipline. And we may have long, hard hours perfecting these talents. But there's a dangerous tendency uh, to take credit for our successes uh, and, and our progress. You know, like, like look how hard I work. Look, I mean, I, you know, uh, I had a friend that was a very, very, very skilled guitar player. We were talking one day, and he said, you know, I said, well, God's given you a great gift. He goes, yeah, and I did a lot of work, too. I said, he gave you that, too. You know, he didn't really get it. Uh, but all you do when you get that kind of an attitude is rob God of the honor that's doing. God gives us gifts. He gives us uh, a lot of gifts. He puts a pat, but he also puts the passion in us. He puts the passion in us to do to pursue those gifts and perfect them. Uh, so on the one hand, you know, like you've got a particular gift, that's something that you may be good at, but a lot of people let let the gifts that God gives them just go to the side. You know, uh, he puts that passion. He gives us. We can give thanks for the gifts. We can praise God, but you can't dare think for any minute that it's all, you know, it's all about us. It's not all about us. Uh, like, I know, I know Johnny works real hard at playing and learning songs and, and, and leading worship. But he knows, and I know he knows, that God has put this in him. He's put a passion in him for, to do it. And he does it well. Our real job is to be obedient. That's our real job, is to be obedient uh, for the calling that God's placed on us. Our joy has to be that we receive these skills. Our hard work can also be a source of joy uh, and satisfaction. I mean, you ever finish a job around the house that nobody knows but you, maybe, or your wife? You know, and you come in and you're just dog-tired, but you feel good. You feel good. You've worked hard, you know, and your body aches a little bit. It's okay. Uh, that's where hard work can be a source of joy. But everything from the skills and abilities as well as the passion are God's gifts. And our job's not to squander the gifts that we have, uh, but use them to His glory, to His glory. Like the, you know, the story of the servants that buried the talents. You know, the one guy buried the talents, one guy says, you know, I got, you gave me 10, I got 20. The other guy had some, he got more. The last one, well, I knew you were a bad dude, so I buried it in the garden. Here it is. Here's your talent. You go, wicked servant. 
And we've got to be careful not to do that. Uh, I'm sure there are people that say, I can't do anything. You know, I really don't have any talent. And I I just suggest you look a little harder. You look a little harder. Uh, Sometimes God's gifts, the things that we can do, aren't particular abilities that stand out, like the ability to lead worship like Sam can, or like to, uh, to mix sound like, like Mickey can. But, you know, what about, what about uh, the ability to encourage, the gifts uh, given to prayer warriors, empathy, kindness, the ability to, to just come alongside somebody in that moment? These are really special gifts, and you have more opportunity usually to use those gifts than you do a particular talent, you know. So that's that's something to remember. Uh, God bless these two guys with a wide range of abilities, but not without a purpose. God had a reason to give them all this. Uh, they were the overseers, the foremen, and they, sh- they should know how to do all the work, and they did. He filled them with the Spirit of God and wisdom, understanding, and... Uh, the, the best part was that he had put in them uh, the ability to teach. Uh, that I've, I've worked for foremen that, that were real good at ordering you how to do something, but if you said, huh, you know, what, how? You know, they couldn't teach you how to do it. And that's, that was a, a loss. That was an absolute loss. The guy that can show you how to do something, then he can walk away from you, and you're going to get the job done. uh and he put in his, in his heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiabeth. That's, that's huge. That, and that's a key to how this tabernacle got built. Both of these men, it seems, have all the wisdom, skill, and knowledge to complete the work as given them. But God in his infinite wisdom knows that by themselves they can't accomplish such an enormous task. This is a big job. Uh, uh, they've been given a workforce with foundational skills. And they have been blessed with the ability to teach, train, and instruct. God doesn't leave anything out. God doesn't, you know, he didn't forget. I mean, you know, how many times have I been on a project and go, oh, you know. But God doesn't have that problem. Uh, for us, it's the same. God will not call any of us to a work that he won't supply us with the skill and the means to accomplish it. But a lot of times it isn't until we're engaged and committed to a calling that God equips us. Uh, we, we step out in faith. When we step out in faith, amazing things happen. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. And I know a lot of you can, too. I know a lot of you can, too. Uh, the, you can offer excuse after excuse to God why you can't. Uh, but think about Moses. Lord, I can't speak, you know. No sweat. Here comes Aaron. Aaron, you know, and he took care of business. Then Moses called these two guys, Beziel and Aholiab. I did it. Great. And every gifted artisan whose heart put wisdom and everyone whose heart was stirred. Uh, everyone whose heart was stirred. A lot of people say they want to do this or they want to do that, but, but their hearts are not stirred to do it. You got to step out. Uh, the key word in chapters uh, 26 uh, to now is shall. 
Uh, it's kind of like ready, set, go. This is the go. Okay? In all the previous chapters, you'll read the Lord, you shall build, you shall use, you shall do this, you shall do that. But he ain't telling them to go. He's telling them what they're going to do. He's given very complete instructions right down the road. He's been really good at it. Uh, like once I was doing a home show in uh, Santa Clara up north. And I had taught on 25 or 35 guys. Uh, I called them from the union hall. They came at 8 a.m. and I owed them four hours no matter what. That was the union rule. Uh, so there I am standing with a full crew uh, at 8 o'clock and no trucks show up, right? I got no equipment. The co- trucking company dropped the ball. And there I am with all these guys costing me more than 900 bucks an hour. And we're trying to get good good numbers on the show. Uh, praise God, I can't remember who was to blame for the mix-up, but it wasn't me. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh. You know, I, I I couldn't believe when I had to call my uh, production foreman and go, hey, guess what? You know, what? You know, you can't hammer a nail unless you have a hammer and a nail. Okay, in verse 3, they get the nails. Verse 3, And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. And that goes uh, back to uh, chapter 35, verses uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And Moses spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, the thing the Lord commanded, saying, You will take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. It's not... Well, What's asked for that's uh, significant, it isn't the specifics. Uh, It's in all our dealings with the Lord. It's not how much we give, but how we give. It's how we give that counts. Uh, It doesn't matter if you give the Lord dimes or diamonds. Uh, He doesn't care. It's your heart that you remember. Remember the widow? The widow and her two mites? Uh, In Luke... Uh, 21 uh, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of, of these have put out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. That's incredible. You know, so it isn't what you give, it's how you give it. Uh, whoever is of a willing heart is what the Lord asks for. Uh, that's what the Lord wants from all of us. He wants a willing heart. I know people, there are people in this room that, that serve on their own, going to Mexico. Uh, they're not part of the, the missions. They just go down there to do the work of the Lord. And, uh, they don't make a big deal of it. They just do it. Uh, 
It doesn't matter if we give him time or money. God's the willing heart that makes it makes it right. When the heart is truly stirred, Morgan says, the spirit makes willing and giving is robbed of all meanness. Indeed, it ceases to be calculating. Nothing is too precious to be given. No amount is too great. Too often we give in a calculated kind of way. You know, either we want people to see us give or else uh, we're thinking, I'm going to make this deal with God. You can't make a deal with God. Uh, what is it? Psalm 30, 37, 4. Uh, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I delight myself in the, in the Lord, but I, I, I have a problem thinking that I'm going to get something for it. You know, uh, I don't want to make deals with God. God's too, he's too much. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came. Each from the work he was doing, they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. I have a hard time imagining most churches telling their parishioners to stop giving. You know, uh, I can't imagine the Pope telling the Catholic Church to cancel Sunday offerings because the church was rich enough, uh, which they are. And here in our church, uh, we're unique. It's not what, what's asked for, but what isn't asked for. You know, like X says, on, we, you know, we have a, uh, an offering on Sunday. It's more for our convenience. It's more so, you know, so it just makes it easy. Uh, we don't have cookie sales, car washes, pancake breakfast, fundraisers. Uh, I think if any senior pastor would tell their people to stop giving, it might be X. You know, X would be one of those men with integrity to say, hey, we're loaded. Back off for a minute. The workers themselves knew what they were doing. The, they knew the job so well, and it was so well organized and planned out, they knew exactly how much they needed. It wasn't a, a guess of saying, uh, you know, do we need this, do we need that, maybe we should take a little more because we're not sure. They knew exactly what they were up to. Uh, so Moses gave a commandment that caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Now, Guzik, who's one of my favorite commentators, comment, commented on this and said, uh, Moses showed such great integrity by not gathering more than the project needed. God told him to take an offering for the building of the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was provided for, the offering was over. The purpose wasn't to amass endless resources, but properly put those resources into action. And this follows the pattern of God's giving to us. God gives us so much, more than we'll ever need, more than we'll ever need. And our giving to him is simply a response, is simply a response. I read this one commentary, and it really got me to think in here, a fellow named Cole. It must have been both a disappointment and a frustration to those who had delayed their gifts because they could not bear to part with their treasures and who now found that God had no further need of them. His work was finished, and they had excluded themselves from any share in it. Uh, what a frustration for some. Uh, whenever there are opportunities to serve and we don't respond, uh, we're opening ourselves up to the possibilities of regret. 
and maybe even the possibility of intense regret. Uh, have you ever said, I was going to, you know, then you can fill in, I was going to. Uh, one time I, my brother-in-law coined that phrase, I had a hot water heater on my, ca- on my uh, patio, and it was hammered. It had been blown down in the wind so many times, it looked like a car wreck. And he said, man, he goes, right, things right on your patio, and it's a wreck. And I said, uh, I was going to, and he stopped me, and he goes, I got a lot of was going around my house, you know. And, uh, but it's the spiritual was going that you got to worry about. You know, we all got was going I was going to do this, I was going to do that. Uh, but there's all those times when I knew I should have jumped in and helped. But I didn't. But I didn't. And then the time passed, and it was over. It was gone. And I couldn't. I couldn't help. The the help was asked for. I didn't respond, and now it was over. And I had a regret about that. I just go to this barber, a guy named Chuck. Really a nice guy. Really, really a nice guy. I was a new believer. And and one day Chuck told me that he had uh, bone cancer. And he didn't tell me how advanced it was, and I didn't think to ask, you know. And I knew that Chuck was a Catholic, but I knew he was really close. It seemed like he would be really ready to accept the Lord. And I was a new Christian. I lacked the boldness. I lacked the boldness to witness to him. And uh, and I didn't. And then uh, a couple of days later, it just gnawed at me that I hadn't said anything to him. It really bugged me. And finally, I jumped in the car after like two or three days. And I went down to his barber shop. And it was business hours, but regular business hours, but it was closed. And uh, so I went to the business next door. And I said, hey, where's Chuck? When's he going to be back? And uh, they said, well, he closed the shop because of his cancer. And it's a regret to to this day. I mean, it isn't that I failed Chuck. It's that I failed the Lord. I, did, I didn't have the boldness in that moment, you know, and I regret it. I regret it. Uh, in the prison ministry, I catch myself a lot of times. I get so caught up in teaching and stuff that I caught that I, I noticed that I was not giving an invitation at the end of, of teaching. I run out of time because things don't exactly go according to plan. And, uh, and so I run out of time and, and then I saw this Billy Graham special right after he passed away on Channel 11. And it just convicted me. It absolutely convicted me. And if I'll cut a, a, a verse or two out or whatever, i got to give these guys the opportunity to say yes to the Lord. That's all there is to it. So when, when, the, uh, when the work's presented to you, when... When, when an opportunity to serve comes around, you got to take it. You just got to take it. Uh, Chuck seemed fine when I talked to him last. I thought, I'd never thought for a moment that his shop would be closed. Uh, but this is the case. These gifted guys that stepped in to uh, build a tabernacle, they were ready. Their hearts were stirred. They had great foremen. God had given them the plans, and they were ready to go for it. Uh, Besides being gifted with needed abilities and skills and overseers, uh, they had the heart. Uh, and, and the materials, remember, they plundered the Egyptians. 
Remember Tony's teaching? You know, they were leaving. Oh, by the way, those earrings, you know, I really like that bracelet. And and they gave him. They gave it up. Oh, sure. You know, get out of here. Uh, and these materials ultimately were used to build a tabernacle. Gold was a symbol of deity. Silver was redemption. Bronze was judgment. Color blue represented heaven. Color purple represented royalty. Scarlet thread represented sacrifice. Fine linen was purity. Goat's hair, cursed skin offering. Ram skin dyed red. Substitutory sacrifice. Badger skins, outwardly they appeared unattractive. Acacia wood, incorruptible humanity, as Christ's humanity was incorruptible. Uh, oil for the anointing and spices for the oil and the incense. Sweet-smelling fragrance to God. So here they are. They're ready to go to work. They've got good leaders. They've got everything they need to do the work. Let's turn this thing on. Uh, I just, I'm going to read through the, the rest of this because Tony went over it. And, and quite frankly, I can't think of anything I can add to what Tony did. Uh, but we have the, the Old Testament tabernacle and... This, I don't believe, really shows it in, in the enormity of it, but you've got to start thinking about it as you look at it. Go ahead. In the tents of the Israelis out there, the Jews are out, camped out about the, this is obviously the center of the, the tent. Has anybody ever pitched a pup tent? Anybody ever pitched a pup tent, just a little tiny tent? You know what a pain it is to put up? They're hard. They're hard. Now they got these, you know, they're kind of like an umbrella. And you sleep under it, you know. But, you know, this is, this is the tabernacle. Go ahead. And you got to remember when you look at these images that none of the people that drew these images saw the tabernacle. These are everybody's best guess. Again, showing the glory of God. And again, this one's a little more detailed. And when I read through, because I'm just going to read through it, we have the uprights. The uprights are, are held together with poles. They, have, they sit on silver bases. These are acacia wood uh, overlaid with gold. Next time you go to uh, Home Depot, go, go to the lumber department and find a 16-foot 2-by-12 uh, and pick it up. It's heavy. It's really heavy. These things are 15 feet tall. Acacia is incredibly dense. It's a dense, hard, beautiful, beautiful wood. It's almost a shame to overlay it. Uh, we have the lampstand, also made out of gold. Uh, the crossbars. Crossbars are interesting. A lot of the drawings showed, uh, the drawing up top showed uh, uh, guidelines being pulled at back. They would be pulling against these crossbars and it would stiffen the wall. The, I was just telling Sam, this, uh, this reminds me of the displays that I've set up on trade shows. I used to set up trade shows for a living. We did some elaborate shows. One of the shows we did had, uh, we had one of my clients was Sony. And we did, uh, uh, it took 60 guys, 
working 12-hour days, 10 days to set up the Sony booth. It was an incredible amount of work. Our billing to Sony was $1.3 million. Uh, the crossbars, there's the veil, the veil that was rent in two, the incense altar, uh, the posts, also acacia wood, the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place, uh, the covering, the covering. You know, nowadays we've got we've got this this very light fabric, this poly, you know, and it, it, even then, if you got a fairly good size, uh, it's it it can gain some weight on you. I used to work on the Long Beach Grand Prix, and we used to put the banners up on the track, and the banners, some of them were like 135 feet long by eight feet tall, and they were it was wind fabric, fabric that could stand the wind of the cars going underneath them. And it took three or four strong men to lift these things and then to string them out and hang them nice and tight. An incredible amount of work. This may be why God picked me to do this chapter. Uh, because this just reminds me of a display. These coverings that would be covering the tabernacle are heavy. We're talking about badger skins. and I mean, some of it's light and some of it's light linen, stuff like that. But... The, the enormity of all this is amazing. The enormity of, of what these guys had to accomplish. And let me just read through this and then we'll finish up. We'll be getting out a little bit early today. Uh, a cubit, by the way, is 18 inches. I know you remember that. 25 cubits is 42 feet. That's pretty long. Uh, four cubits is six, six feet. I just give you an idea. Uh, okay, verse 8. Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and of scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. They made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain was four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another. The other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the salvage edge of one set. Likewise, he did on the outer edge of the other, of, of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain, and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the second set. The loops held one curtain to another. And he made fifty clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasp that might be one tabernacle. He made curtains of goat's hair for the tent, over the tabernacle, he made 11 curtains. The length of each uh, curtain was 30 cubits, 45 feet. The width of each cub uh, curtain was 4 cubits, 6 feet. The 11 curtains were the same size, made out of goat's hair, heavy. He coupled 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain, that is, on the outermost in one set, 50 loops he made on the edge of the, uh, of the curtain of the second set. He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the tent together that it might be done. Then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. For the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood standing upright. And the length of each board was 10 cubits, and the width of each board was a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made the boards 
for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of, each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. And they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Then he made both of them for the two corners. There were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. And he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five for the boards of the tabernacle on the far west side, on the far side westward. And he made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to another. And he overlaid the boards with gold, made the rings of gold to be holders for the boards, and overlaid the bars with gold. And he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. He made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and he cast four sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And its five pillars with their hooks, he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. Now, as you look up here and you look at, at all this work, there's some things you got to call to mind that it's kind of important. Uh, the amount of material used was enormous. The detail required was intricate in design. It was very intricate. It wasn't just like slapping some paint on a wall. Uh, there were no power tools. Among the work workmen, you never heard somebody say, hand me that skill saw, you know. There were no skill saws. The weights of the individual pieces, the overall weight of this tabernacle was staggering. I mean, like I said, acacia wood is heavy. I had an acacia tree in my backyard, and we chopped it down, and uh, we chopped down part of it because it was diseased. And uh, the, the, the rounds that I got, I was blown away by how heavy they were. I was also blown away by how beautiful they were. The, the grain was beautiful. My wife, Debbie, has a a studio that she works in, and we've got a table of acacia wood in there, and it's gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, so like I said, next time, go pick up a 16-foot 2x12. Uh, these boards were 15 feet by 23 inches wide, and we can only guess how thick, 2 or 3 inches, maybe more. Uh, acacia is dense and heavy. Gold is heavy. Silver is heavy. Everything had to fit together properly. Everything had to work right. Remember, this whole thing was designed to move. Uh, this is not a permanent installation. It had to go up correctly. It had to come down correctly. And then it had to be movable. It had to be movable. And it had to survive the move. Have you ever looked at your luggage after a few flights? You know? It had to survive the move. And then be able to be set up again. It couldn't be damaged. Uh, I tried to get the approximate weight of the tabernacle. I couldn't. No, I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, maybe somebody else has found it, but not me. Um, the bottom line, it weighed a lot. It weighed a whole lot. Uh, and I, I did find an estimate of the value, but I don't know how this could be, uh, how anybody could get this. 
31 million in silver, a million 300 in silver, in, uh, 31 million in gold, million 300 in uh, silver and copper was about 70,000 or so. <clears throat> this is a pivotal, pivotal chapter because all the planning and instruction that was given to Moses for the construction had begun. And that's what we're going to see in the, in the chapters that come up after this. The work is going to be completed. Now it's to do it, you know. Uh, uh, they were kind of like Larry the Cable Bike guy. Get her done, you know. And uh, and along the way, they were not they were not without stumbling. Remember chapter thirty two. Uh, they uh, they slipped and fell. Uh, they but now they were putting their shoulder to the wheel. Now they were getting the work done, and they got on down the road. Jews are an amazing people. They really, really are. These folks are... I've been to Israel a couple of times. Michael's been there. Other of you, John's been there. Uh, I was walking down the street one day with Debbie, and, and there's this guy pushing a shopping cart, and he's got it loaded with groceries, and his wife's pushing a baby buggy, and he got a couple of kids running around. And uh, he's got his yarmulke. He's wearing shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt. He looked normal. This is like a normal-looking thing with an AK-47 across his shoulders. You know, you know, a whole different different animal. Uh, they they approach things totally different. Our tour guide said, uh, "When we go to war, he didn't if had no uh, no mention. Not if we go to war. When we go to war, he goes. I'm fully prepared to lose my life." He says, but something really different than you guys. He goes, I'm prepared to lose my wife and children too because that's how it is over there. So these people are tough. They're stiff-necked, not without their faults. They're kind of like me and you, you know. And uh, as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as long as these guys kept their eyes on the Lord, things went well for them. Things went well for them. And as long as we keep our eyes on the Lord, things go well for us. I'm not saying it's a piece of cake. I'm not saying everything is just hunky-dory and the life is a bowl of cherries. Sometimes it's the pits, you know. But it's good. It's good. With God, you can face anything. And you, I know you know that. But sometimes we need to reaffirm it. Let's pray. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. I'm grateful for this time you've given us together. I ask you to bless all of us here to remember what we can do with you because you are un, indeed on our side. Lord, I love you. My, my brothers love you. I pray for the women downstairs. I know they love you too, Lord. Watch over all of us. Keep us safe in this treacherous and wacky world, but especially keep us safe from the enemy. Let us stay on that narrow trail and give us the gumption and the, and the energy to hit that mountaintop to get all the way up. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.